This is Dr. David D. Shine. Welcome to this edition of Saving America. And we've got a special program uh, for you this week. And we've got in the news, our first segment, tale of two visits to the Mexican border, uh, Trump versus Harris. Who did a better job of just guess on that one? And then rumor of the week is the real source of the Wuhan virus is also known as the CCP virus. It continues to leak out. Why wouldn't every American, including those clowns in Washington, want to know what has really brought this upon America? And then our third segment is just the facts, and we frequently have a guest, and we've got a special guest this week, and that is Zach Stuckey, who's a business consultant. He helps com companies primarily in the Western United States. Uh, he was heavily influenced by the late Harvard management guru, uh, Clayton Christensen, and we're going to hear from him about that. Moving on to tale of two visits, uh, the broken U.S. border, we had Giggles Harris, who was supposedly the, he's supposed to be in charge of the border crisis or the border control, which has turned into a crisis due to the incompetence of the uh, Biden administration and his handlers. And uh, she's not gone to the border. She's run around uh, to other countries saying, oh, let me see if we can get you to stop allowing your public to run through Mexico into the United States so we can pretend to make them citizens so that we can pretend to have them vote for Democrats. This is not this guy, folks. This isn't anything that we need to debate whether there was any underlying motivation other than what I just said. But in any event, uh, Giggles has not been to the border. And uh, she heard that Trump, former President Trump, and Governor Greg Abbott were going to have a special event at the border. And so her handlers very quickly arranged a trip to, of all places, El Paso, one of the few places on the Mexican-American border that is actually sort of under control. And uh, during her brief visit there, uh, she uh, really didn't accomplish much. She was 800 miles from the center of the crisis in the middle of the Mexican-Texas border, which is, of course, where Trump and Governor Abbott went um, about half a week later. And uh, uh, she did not tour any overcrowded facilities. She didn't tour the facilities that are overrun, according to news reports, with COVID-19 infections. Um, she didn't uh, look at the improper and inhumane conditions that her administration has brought about. So it's, uh, it's uh, quite a contrast. Um, one of the things that was very interesting is the uh, meeting with Trump and Abbott at the border was at a place where the wall had been abruptly stopped by a, another poor Biden decision. And uh, people are streaming through that breach in the wall. Uh, Governor Abbott has committed state funds to completing that wall. And um, in addition, the wall that had already been constructed was stopped before it was painted. And obviously metal will rust if it's not painted. So they've committed to making sure that the existing metal parts are painted and to finishing the wall. Border arrests, by the way, 
have skyrocketed since President Biden took office. May marks the busiest month yet, 180,000 apprehensions. Now remember, apprehensions don't mean a whole lot because they tell these people to come back in two, three years. Most of them never show up. Estimate is 5% of them may show up. Yeah, this is not good. We've got to stop them at the border. We've got to discourage them from coming through Mexico. We've got to do what, gee, what President Trump did when he had the safest American border in quite a while. Uh, there's been a change in the makeup because everybody in the world has heard about this leak. We now have more people coming in from Ecuador, Venezuela, Cuba, and Haiti. So this is getting scarier and broader than what has been happening in the recent past. So this is certainly something that needs to urgently be taken care of. And Giggles Harris has certainly not done anything to help the situation, uh, a, a truly poor representation of America. Uh, let's switch to the rumor of the week. Um, the real source of the Wuhan virus, also known as the CCP virus. And um, scientists uh, have obfuscated the sources of COVID-19 uh, to different viruses that we know are stored at the Wuhan lab. And we know that there is a professor or, or, or scientist there named Shi Zheng Yi. And um, she is the common link. She is a specialist at bats. And remember, the, the big cover story was that this was spread somehow by bats. And then the uh, prior SARS virus, which uh, fortunately did not explode. So we've now got an exploding virus. What is starting to come out in Washington, just little trickles, usually brought up by Republicans, is that uh, this virus is being paid for partially by the United States has given money to this laboratory. This is just crazy, folks. First of all, we've got a nearly $30 trillion national deficit, and we really don't get along with the Chinese. They really don't play nice with others. And you're telling us that we have sent money in the past to this lab to kill 600,000 Americans to ruin the best economy in recent history in the United States. This is just not sensible, folks. And there's increasing belief that this was a virus that was developed for military purposes and may not have been leaked on purpose. Let's be fair, probably wasn't leaked on purpose, but the Chinese failed the CCP to control it once it began they blocked off people in that city, but allowed them to travel internationally, even though they weren't allowed to travel domestically. What nice people they are. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that we need to get out in public. Oh, and the kicker, the footnote to end all footnotes. Hunter Biden had an interest in one of the companies that has provided funding to the Wuhan lab. Yes, folks, I can't make this stuff up. And it's gonna be interesting to see if we ever prosecute either of the Bidens for illegal dealing overseas. And if anyone ever really gets to the bottom of the devious and terrible things that have been done uh, in, with regard to the Wuhan lab 
and to other scientific testing like this designed to hurt humans in large numbers. So our guest this week is Zach Stuckey, is a business consultant who helps scale companies in the Western United States. He's helped companies hit 40% year-over-year growth. That's pretty darn good. He's going to talk about his own management approach and how it was influenced by one of the great minds in management, Harvard's Clayton Christensen, who passed away very recently. Welcome, Zach. Thank you, doctor. It's great to be here. Well, um, tell us how you get in, introduced to the work of Clayton Christensen. We talked about it in our pre-interview, and it sounds like a great story. Yeah, you know, so I had never heard of Clayton Christensen, which is funny because I grew up in, a, in an entrepreneurial family. Um, but so he and I share the same faith. We're both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I actually served a mission with his son in Taiwan. And at the time, I had no idea who he was. Um, his son was a leader for me and was doing some training and was just a great guy, just a really great guy, just serving and, and all of this stuff. I remember he got up early and made me pancakes, which is impossible to get in Taiwan. And it was, it was just amazing. And I, I, uh, so on our missions, we serve in companionships of just two people. And I got back together with my companion and he said, do you know who his dad is? And I was like, no. And so he explained who his dad is. And he's like, yeah, his dad's kind of a big deal. Like he completely transformed the way that we look at innovation in the United States. And I was like, huh, cool. So uh, after serving my mission, I came home and, and uh, started getting an education. Um, and I had a professor who assigned a project uh, where we had to read a book by a leading thinker in, in business. Uh, and so I chose Clayton's first book, uh, The Innovator's Dilemma. And it was just fascinating. As I read it, I was, I was blown away by the level of, of thought that he had put into his work um, and the way that he saw things totally differently. And, and from there, it just opened the floodgates. And I've, I've consumed so much of his work. Uh, it, it's just absolutely astounding the the things that he's been able to to produce and and the ideas that he's been able to create. I mean, the guy had Steve Jobs basically had him on speed dial. That's where the 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 concept of the iPod and the iPhone were heavily influenced by Clayton Christensen's work. Um, so yeah, just just massively uh, impactful stuff. Well, it, it sounds great. Tell our audience a little bit about uh, the book. It's called The Prosperity Paradox, How Innovation Can Lift Nations Out of Poverty. And what messages might that contain even for the United States? Yeah, absolutely. So Clay's, Clay's work is centered around this, this concept of innovation and, and how disruptive innovation comes about, right? And, and, and what he says is that there are basically four types of innovation. You have uh, this, these potential products, which are, are products that no one's really figured out yet. Um, once they figure them out, then you have these sustaining innovations that just go through and they just make that product better and better and better. And then you have these disruptive products that, that step in and they grow markets by either attacking the low end of the market and moving up market like Nucor Steel or Toyota and Honda in the 80s and 90s. Um, and then you've got this efficiency innovation, which is let's just improve what we do and let's get our money back. And so essentially what this prosperity paradox is, 
is it's based off of this concept of innovation and how it's impacted by what Clay called the new church of finance. And what this new church of finance is, and it's really fascinating for me, uh, who has a, a, a BS in finance, and let me tell you, sometimes it was BS. <laughs> um, this, this new church of finance basically worships at the altar of Rona, ROI, and net present value. Right. And essentially what that says is you want to get a substantial return on the net assets that you're going to put into the project. And it makes sense. But what Clay was able to find is that they embraced this thinking in the, um, the four tigers in Asia. They really embraced this thinking for a while. And what they found is that it was that thinking that actually led to the stagnation um, that they're experiencing today. Because here's what happens, right? You have a great idea like Netflix, right? Or some, some other great idea. And you come into the market and you say, I've got this great idea. And the CFOs in this market say, sure, it sounds like a great idea, but let me just plug in and see what comes out of the RONA calculation or the NPV calculation or the ROI calculation. And what often happens is that the return from that, that calculation says, this is a bad project to do. Don't do this project because the, the ROI is not sufficient. But what ends up happening is that they pass on these projects that they should have done. Because these projects, although they're very low growth rates at the beginning, um, because they're servicing often an underserved market or the low end of the market, it creates the growth that the company needs in the long run. And so that's things that happened with like Toyota or Nucor Steel, right? Nucor came into the bottom of the market doing rebar, which is like garbage steel, yeah. but they found a way to turn this scrap metal into this rebar. And so they moved from rebar and all of these higher end in the market were like, great, Nucor's got it. We don't have to service rebar anymore. It's not a profitable line for us anyway. Let's just cede that to them. And Nucor moved up and up and up the market until they're doing structural steel and things for like the frames of, of automobiles and everything else. And, and now Nucor is competing with, you know, US Steel and all of these other steel companies and, and they're losing their shirt, these, these major steel companies. And they're like, what's happening here? Um, and China's doing it to us again. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're finding is that China has come in at the low end of the market and they're moving up market. Um, and by doing that, they're actually finding that companies in the United States, because China has a distinctive comparative advantage in terms of their human capital, um, labor's just so gosh darn cheap that the U.S. can't really keep up in their mind. And so what they need to be doing, according to Clay, is they need to be saying, instead of not competing with these guys on the lower end, what we need to do is spin off a subsidiary company and absolutely compete with these guys on the lower end because that will keep them contained down here on the lower end of the market. They'll never really be able to get enough market share to move up market. 
Amazing, Zach. What a what a what a great explanation. And as you know, we've limited time, so let me move on to our third uh, uh, question for today. And uh, Christensen, uh, I know you call him Clay, also had a different reflective side with his book. How will you measure your life, and what lessons does that hold for your audience? And I I know from our pre-interview that that you're a dad. I'm a dad and a granddad. And, um, uh, you know, so we do think about that. What, was, what is our legacy and, and what do we bring to the game? So uh, what, tell us a little bit about that book. Oh, I, I love this book. If you haven't read this book, pick up this book, read your book, read the book. So like you said, Clay was a, was a professor at Harvard. And one of the things that he would do is at the end of every lecture, or not lecture, but every semester, he would give this lecture called How Will You Measure Your Life? And he was diagnosed with cancer, and he was worried, I'm not going to be able to give this lecture again. And so he worked with uh, James Allworth and Karen Dillon to take what was that lecture and turn it into a book that could then be distributed to his students. Um, and, and the book basically hinges on this. Um, Clay got his uh, master's and PhD from Harvard. And what he would find is that he would go to these reunions, these class reunions at Harvard. And he would find that, you know, the first one, everybody's life looks glamorous. And then the second one, their life is starting to fray. And then the third one, some of them are in jail. Some of them are divorced. <laughs> Some of them, their kids hate them, you know, and, and so he was like, what, what is going on here? And he created this book. And so this book is, is sectioned out, but, um, and the thing that had the most profound impact for me, at least in this latest review, uh, was his, his chapter called just this once. And he talks about the dangers of marginal thinking. And he, he, in these chapters, he structured it really well. He uses a business example, and then he talks about a personal example. And the business example that he uses is this marginal thinking that led to Blockbuster passing on purchasing Netflix, or at least trying to compete with Netflix uh, back before they were streaming. This is when they were mailing DVDs out. Um, and then he shares this really profound story. Uh, he talks about how he was a, a basketball player, and it started out just because he's six foot eight, no, yeah. six foot six. He's yeah. a tall guy. Um, and he, he played basketball and he ended up playing basketball for um, university. And his team made it in high school to the championships and the championship game was on Sunday. And um, in our faith, we believe that we just don't engage in sporting activities like that on Sunday. And so he made this decision and it was a really hard decision for him at the time. I'm, I'm not going to play in that game. And every single member of the team and every single member of the coaching staff came to him and said, are, are you kidding me? Like, you're really going to make this decision. You're really not going to play. And he didn't play. And they still won the game, thankfully. But he had this realization. It's easier to do something 100% of the time than it is to do it 98% of the time. Yeah. That that moment that we let ourselves lapse just this once, just this one time, could be the moment that starts a cascade that leads us to making worse and worse decisions. And if we have this hard, fast rule, I'm just not going to do that thing. 
then we'll never violate our integrity. Zach, you are a fascinating guest. You are a great speaker and an inspiring speaker. And, and I, I hope we'll be able to get this out very broadly to our audience when the, when the program airs and goes out on a podcast. And uh, tell people if they'd like to learn a little bit more about you, how they get a hold of you. Well, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me, Zach, that's Z-A-C, no H and no K. I keep it simple at homericconsulting.com. So Homeric, H-O-M-E-R-I-C, consulting.com. It means grand or epic in scale. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being a guest on Saving America for this episode.